0: Welcome to the first episode of the Jimmy Johnson Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Johnson. This podcast exists to help millennials and Gen Z grow in their leadership competence so that they can lead with confidence. I'm so excited you decided to tune in. I have a great show lined up for you. Before we jump into today's episode, just a few housekeeping items on how you can stay up to date with the show. First and foremost, follow me on social media and after this episode, be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Our team would love to hear how we're doing and how we can better serve you. On today's episode, I'm excited to speak with Jeff Henderson. He's an entrepreneur, speaker, pastor, and business leader. His best selling book, Know What You're For, launched a movement in nonprofits around the world and has become a focal point for many businesses. As a founder of the Ford Company, Jeff's aim is to help organizations build a good name where purpose and profit grow together. Jeff was recently named by Forbes Magazine as one of 20 speakers you shouldn't miss. Prior to working as pastor, Jeff started his career in marketing with the Atlanta Braves, Callaway Gardens, Lake Lanier Islands, and Chick-fil-A, where he led the company's regional beverage marketing strategies. Let's welcome Jeff Henderson, to the Jimmy Johnson Leadership Podcast.
1: Jimmy, good to be with you, buddy. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. You know, I've been following your journey for quite some time. I've seen you on numerous podcasts, and so it's really an honor to have you with me today. You have a very interesting career path and journey in leadership, uh, having worked for uh, the Braves, the Atlanta Braves. You've also worked for Chick Fil A and also North Point Ministries, alongside of uh, Pastor Andy Stanley. So I want to just start there of like what your uh, journey was like. How did you, you know, make these transitions from these different places? So let's start with your first job. I believe it was Chick-fil-A, right? The Atlanta Braves, it was marketing. Right. That's where I really started
1: my first, that was my first marketing job. And uh, the Braves weren't doing too well back in those days, Jimmy's. But it was, <laughs> it was amazing because I had the opportunity, I was in the promotions department. So that would be corporate sponsorships and, uh, you know, Coca-Cola helmet night or Coca-Cola cap night or Chick-fil-A poster night or whatever and and so it was just fantastic to be able to work and think about how do I promote uh, a losing baseball team to try to get fans into the <laughs> stadium and uh, I discovered that I was good at some things and terrible at some things for example I was terrible at advertising sales mm-hmm. and uh, cuz I would call you know corporate corporations to see if they wanted to put an ad in the Braves program I was terrible at sales but I was really good at coming up with ideas and writing creative copy and, and working with the corporate sponsors. And I remember telling my dad, I'm ter- terrible at, at sales, but I'm good at this promotion. He goes, Hey, that's really good to know because you need to play to your strengths. And it's not bad that yeah. you're not good at advertising sales. It's really good to know that. So that began to put me on a journey that, you know, little did I know years later, I would be the person responsible for corporate sports marketing at Chick-fil-A. And, um, and so the I I tell folks the pathway to your dream job often leads through your day job and learning Mm. what you are good at learning, what you're not good at your personal network of building and 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 adding value to your relationships. That's there's so much gold within good and bad within your day job that can lead you to your next step.
0: Yeah. And so your next step after Chick-fil-A was North Point Ministries, correct?
1: Yeah. So I was at Chick-fil-A and only crazy people like me ever leave Chick-fil-A, Jimmy. Right. So, you know, because
0: uh, I, I look at people who work at Chick-fil-A and you have folks that have been there 20, 30 years, which is not something that happens uh, today.
1: No, much. one of my very one of my very best friends just celebrated his 30th year at Chick-fil-A. And so it's it's an incredible organization. But I would Chick-fil-A actually took me to a church leadership conference. And it was at that conference that I just really felt called to someday help launch a church. Now that still was a three year journey. It wasn't like I came home from the conference and quit and started a church, but that was over the course of 17 years. Uh, My wife and I were able to launch three churches in the Atlanta area, but then eventually we're empty nesters now. And eventually all of that led to the next step of what we're doing now, uh, serving leaders like you and serving churches and businesses. So, you know, we're always I think sometimes we feel like we have to figure out what to do for the rest of our lives. What I've yeah. discovered on my career path is we just have to figure out what to do next. And many times that just simply means doing your very best job that you can where you are. And uh, so those those career paths, uh, those next steps, they weren't really planned out. I, I remember hearing one of my heroes say, uh, John Maxwell, say, I never had a clear vision. I just kept moving forward. And that was really, because if you look at my career, you're like, oh, so you, you had this plan. So you're going to work at corporate sponsorships with the Braves. You're going to go to Chick-fil-A. You're gonna go. No, I wish I was that smart. But <laughs> I but I did show up to work every day and I did do my best, play to my strengths, uh, try to avoid the weaknesses or delegate the weaknesses so that the, that particular area could get done. But then really add value to the network of people because many times who you know is more important than what you know and so those those really helped lead me in my in my career path over, over the last several years
0: also uh, i want to bring this up by the way congratulations on being named a league of leaders with uh the john maxwell team and company that's an amazing oh, amazing accomplishment thank you
1: yeah so it's uh john's doing a great job of of bringing in additional voices so that um, his Legacy can continue. You know, succession is a is a challenging thing for founding leaders, and, and he's bringing different voices in, and, and uh, so I'm honored to be uh, a, a little thought leader there to add a little bit of value to to what John's already doing.
0: Yeah, and you know, I love uh, John Maxwell. I follow him. He's a leader of leaders, and so to to say that you have a relationship with him says a lot about your success as a leader and uh, where you're going on this journey. But let's talk a little bit about your first book, Knowing What You're For. In the book, you talk a little bit about really knowing like whether you're an organization or even an individual who's who's a leader in business, knowing what you're for rather than focusing on what you're not for. Because we live in a culture where everyone says, well, I'm not for this, or I'm against this, but we don't really talk a lot about what we're for. What was the, um, the heart behind this book? I know uh, when you were at North Point, you did a sermon series on this particular topic, and I think you just took off and, and really uh, made something big out of it.
1: Well, one of the things I, I, I've discovered is that clarity is really important in terms of what does this organization want to be known for and who are we playing for and what are we playing for in this organization? And there's a lot of assumptions that everybody knows. Uh, there's a friend of mine who would often walk around the organization and say, Hey, the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. <laughs> and but. That's that's huge. But there's an assumption that everyone knows what the main thing is. So I encourage leaders to do a vision inventory, Mm -hmm. um, just like they would do, you know, product inventory. A vision inventory would be walking around and going, hey, what do you think we want to be known for as an organization? And it can't be a 17 paragraph mission statement that we came up with on a retreat seven years ago that nobody can recite or remember. Because okay. what, what you're talking about is vision isn't only a compelling vision. It also has to have language that is portable. So the less words, the better, because I want people to be able to communicate our vision, 10, 12 people down from them, that's when vision begins to stick. And that's when the vision really begins to flow from from heart to heart. And you you want to engage the hands of people, but you to really truly engage the hands of people, you have to engage the hearts of people. So I was meeting with a mentor one time and I I just said, hey, this is I'm so blessed. I mean, I got to work for Chick-fil-A. that's had same store sales increases for over 50 years and yet. The same time I've been able to work at North Point Ministries, one of the largest nonprofits in the country. And I've seen this explosive growth and it's just a blessing. And he's, he kind of pushed back a little bit and said, well, it is a blessing, but it's a stewardship responsibility. What what have you learned and what can you share with the rest of us? And if you can write it down and give it to people, that'd be great. So that's kind of was the genesis of the book. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, it really comes down to two questions. Question number one is, what do you want to be known for? What's your compelling vision? Number Question number two is, What are you known for? And that's Mm -hmm. the customer's reflection back to you on whether or not you are delivering on your vision and promise on question number one. And momentum or the lack thereof depends on how small or wide the gap between those two questions are. And, And here's the power of those two questions, Jimmy. When what you want to be known for, your compelling vision, when what you want to be known for is what you're known for, well, you create vision carriers, you harness the world's most powerful form of advertising, which is word of mouth advertising, yeah. and uh, they tell people about your business. So that was kind of the genesis behind the book. But at the same time, I was working at a church and we were doing the same thing. We were asking the question, Hey, what do we want? I mean, as a startup church, what do we want this church to be known for? And in the course of that conversation, our team said, you know, many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for we should be known for what we're for. And we thought, well, who are, who are we for? Right. And so uh, we were in Gwinnett County, which is a Northeast suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. And we just said, well, you know, we're for Gwinnett County kids and students and Gwinnett County businesses and Gwinnett County, um, you know, governments. And we're, we're just for, it. we want our County to to be better because we're here. And so that's when we launched for Gwinnett. That's what we're for. We're for Gwinnett. And so I think it's important to understand that that's two words, right? And so, when people said, "Hey, what does this church want to be known for?" We would say, "Well, or what is for Gwinnett?" Well, many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. We're for our community, and we're for you. And that language was so simple and portable that it allowed um, our startup core team of just a few people to be able to invite their friends to what we were doing. And and then what happened after that, Jimmy, is I just I started getting Getting coffee mugs and t shirts in the mail from mm-hmm. for El Paso and for wow. Guatemala and for the Valley and for Charlotte and all of this. And that eventually led to what I'm doing now, just trying to coach businesses and churches and nonprofits about hey, let's get really, really clear. This, what people tell me is that this is pretty simple. I'm like, absolutely. But simple is hard, simple is not yeah. easy. And uh, so, If you walk around your organization and do a vision inventory and everybody knows what you want to be known for, you're in rare air. But even if that's true, the other principle here that I wrote about in the book is that leaders are repeaters. Vision leaks, vision evaporates. You have to come to work every day and ask, what did I do today to cast vision and to remind people? of what our vision is and in a, in a world coming out of COVID or, you know, however we want to describe that, I don't know, post COVID or current COVID, whatever it is, it now more than ever, you got to really get clear about this because we have a lot of people now that are leaving their jobs and leaving organizations. And if you don't mm-hmm. have a compelling vision, they'll just go somewhere else because I think they realize life is too short to work somewhere where there's not some kind of bigger, bigger purpose than just staying in business.
0: That's so good. And you know, you're so right about being clear on the vision and also repeating it because as I think about organizations that I've been a part of, and even in churches, the organizations that have been the most successful are the ones that repeatedly say what we're doing, what our vision is, what we're all about. And the organizations that don't do so well, or those organizations where they assume the employees, the members of this church or organization know what the vision is. And, you know, six months down the road after you launched this vision and this statement, people forget and people go back to doing what they used to do rather than where we're going. So that was so good and so insightful for you to share. And I also love your thoughts on uh, how you view success versus excellence. Can you share with our viewers and listen, listeners your perspective on that?
1: Sure. So I was meeting with Tim Tisopoulos, who's the president of Chick-fil-A years ago and new to the organization. And I said, Hey, what's your, you know, what's your definition of success? How can I be successful around here? And he said, well, I think that's the wrong question. Mm. (laughs) He goes, success is comparing yourself to other people or the organizations. What you need to be thinking about is excellence and excellence is comparing yourself to your own potential. Excellence Mm -hmm. is an organization that doesn't get, um, so bothered by what the competition's doing, rather they instead are seeing what, what is our excellence and how can we get better? And I'll give you a quick example from Chick-fil-A world and Chick-fil-A was and back in this time and still is number one in all of their markets in terms of the favorite chicken sandwich. So if you look at your competitors, you could say, wow, we're successful in every single market, we have the most popular chicken sandwich. But instead, they thought, you know, there, I feel like there's ways that we can make the sandwich even better, and they created a new way, a new tiered basket that would allow the fillet in, in the pressure cooker to um, to be better, and and it actually got better. And they didn't have to do that, but they wanted to go. I think we can get better, mm-hmm. and so that that pursuit of excellence um is so important. Now, can we learn from our competitors? Absolutely. Sure. But you know, and, and this is a challenge with social media too. You're you're looking at uh, people's Instagram highlights, right? You're not seeing um the 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 day that the business didn't go great or, you know, or the relationship didn't, you know, the marriage wasn't that great that day. You're you're, all, you're seeing all the highlights. And so you got to be really careful that you're not measuring, you know, your difficulty with their successes. And That's um, so good. And so success is comparing yourself to others. Excellence is comparing yourself to your own potential.
0: Yeah. And I heard you uh, recite this before. You said you can't allow systems and scale to drive out the humanity in business. And when you said that, I was like, I can relate to this so much because so many times we get so focused on the systems and the structures of an organization that we forget about the people that drive those organizations. Can Can you share what your heart is behind that?
1: I worked for two massive organizations that had to depend on systems and scale, right? I mean, if you've got 2,500 outlets that we want to make sure that everybody has two pickles on the sandwich, you've got to have systems and scale to be able to do that. If you've got churches around the country that are doing student ministry and adult ministry and Sunday morning programming and all of that. You want to have systems and scale and all of that is really, really important. So I wanted to be careful when I said that comment that I'm not saying that systems and scale are, are bad or wrong. They're, right. they're incredibly important. The problem is, is that when you have systems and scale, you can talk yourself out of the one on one interactions. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you become kind of a an invisible, seemingly uncaring, too big to really see people organization and. The more personable you are, the more remarkable you're going to be for an organization. And I, I see this all the time in social media. The larger the organization gets, the more they just st- they just talk about themselves. And yeah. I put in the book, if a business was a person, many businesses would be considered narcissists because it's all, look wow. about how great we are and look at how wonderful we are. And did you know that we're better than our competitors? And man, we are awesome. <laughs> so if that was a person, you're like, I think that person has a problem. And right. so, what you have to do is to shift the focus from the business and shift the focus to the the, the, the people. And I give an example of this. So, um, and I use social media as an example because it's just kind of an easy one to, to see. Let's let's pick Starbucks. Does Starbucks need to tell us when their, you know, um, new breath new item is coming out in the fall or, um, you know, all that when their pumpkin spice lattes coming out? Yeah, we want to we want to yeah. hear when that's coming out, right? But A friend of mine told me one time that she was a big Starbucks fan. She goes, I I posted a picture of my Starbucks mug one time and Starbucks commented and said, thanks for being a part of Starbucks. We love it. And she goes, I took a screenshot of that and sent it to all my friends. and said, look at Starbucks talking to me. And I said, so how many other times have you taken a screenshot of something and sent it from Starbucks that they posted and sent it to all your friends? And she said, oh, I've never done that before. Exactly. What mm-hmm. happened is, yeah, there's systems in scale that, you know, need to leverage social media for Starbucks, but they weren't content to just stay on their platform and just be, have a monologue. They wanted to have a dialogue. You're going to have a, a dialogue with customers. You have to see the humanity of the business. Now, here's the, here's the pushback I get on this, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. The pushback I get is we can't do this for everybody, so we're not going to do it for anybody. This yeah. is why I love what Andy Stanley said. This is so insightful. He said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Sure, now if good. you if you do for one here's the power of that if you do for one what you do wish you could do for everyone on a consistent basis that one really begins to add up and it's not just that one they tell others about you oh my goodness starbucks commented on my instagram post or something so that makes an organization feel less impersonal and it allows the organization to say hey we see you out there yeah because old school marketing says this old school marketing interrupts your day interrupts my day and says Jimmy jeff look at me I know you're not here to to you know look at this hardware store but look at me it's you go to YouTube and you're trying to watch a video and there's a five second ad um, and have you ever noticed that that ad never has any problems buffering but the, the video you're trying to watch does right so <laughs> that's now does that have an impact yeah but it's what research is telling us is the impact is drastically reducing new school marketing says, Hey, everybody, we see you out there. And, uh, we're, 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 we're focused on you. We're not the hero, you're the hero. And so this whole idea of systems and scale, it's really, really important, but I have a friend of mine, Benj Miller, he calls it systems and soul. Mm. Don't, don't lose the soul, you know, the souls, you know, not literal here, but don't lose the soul or the eth- ethos or the essence of the organization just because you need to have systems to grow. You need to have systems, but you don't need to lose the soul or the ethos or the culture of the organization in the process of developing those systems.
0: It's so good. You know, switching gears here a little bit, Jeff. Over the last you know two decades or so, you've worked at some incredible organizations and have seemingly transitioned well. You know, you left no Point uh, amidst the pandemic. And when that took place, you know, I was like, clearly he has a game plan because, you know, leaving, <laughs> you know, in the middle of a pandemic, which I have some experience uh, in that realm as well. So your, you know, your new book that's uh, out today, you know, what to do next, uh, taking your best step when life is uncertain really talks about what do you do when taking that next step? So I would love for you to kind of share some insight in what i found interesting about the fact that you're releasing this book is it's during a time where the job market has experienced sort of, uh, this great resignation and this even great retirement where people are heading back to work and they're asking lots of questions amongst themselves about what to do next. So um, how do leaders measure when's the right time to leave an organization? Great question. One of the questions I got
1: over the last two years and really over the course of my career, like when I left Chick-fil-A to start at church, that was like, what in the world are you doing? So And then even this, it's this season with the, with the pandemic, what in the world are you doing? So, and and one of the questions I got was, how did you eliminate risk? To which I responded, you don't eliminate risk. (laughs) There's always the risk that this won't work, but what you can do is you can shrink the risk. You can manage the risk. So I want to make sure that any career move, it's not like I'm making this massive leap over the grand Canyon but I am probably jumping over a wet mud puddle and there's chances are I might get wet and muddy and fall down, but I'm not plunging thousands of feet below and have created, you know, catastrophe. So there's always risk associated with it. And the more I got asked this question about, Hey, how did you figure out what to do next? And I'm trying to figure out what to do next. And I'm just not sure. And I'm not sure that this is where I am. It's where I need to be. Or sometimes next happens to people. (laughs) Sometimes the organization uh you know says hey we've downsized or there's a new leader or whatever and so that's that was really part of the impetus of this book to go you know i've learned some things over the course of these 20 years and these four big moves that i've had uh things that that have worked that have helped me get there one of which is for example building your personal network. If, if someone were to say to me today, Jimmy, Jeff, I got a call yesterday my boss brought me in and said, Hey, you got two weeks. We're closing down the division. You're not going to mm-hmm. have a job here. What's the first thing I would do? The first thing I would do, what would, would be to look at your personal network and to categorize them in three areas. Number one, who are the people that you know best, right? So that's number yeah. one. Number two, who are the people that you know best that are in your particular field or in your particular field of interest? And number three, who are the people that you don't know that well, but you would like to get to know mm-hmm. and you know someone who knows them? So you have three different categories and I would st- I would pick up the phone, I would text, I would call and I would say, can you we meet for coffee? And mm-hmm. when you meet with them, then you're you, you you tell them your story. You ask about their story and say, hey, here's where I am. If you were me, what would you do in this situation? And then you ask the best networking question I've ever heard. Give credit to John Maxwell. This is his question, not mine. That is, mm-hmm. who do you know that I need to know? That's who good. do you know that I need to know? And then for, for bonus points, if you can say, would you be willing to call them on my behalf and connect me? that's the first thing I would do. And that's where I would spend most of my time. Because again, the principle here is who you know is often more important than what you know. Yeah. And many times, and I understand this, we want to um, work on our resume, we want to go on LinkedIn, and and, and, and and all that's really, really important. But I don't think anything's more important than, than actually talking to people. And you know, the pushback I get on this as well. What if they say no, some people will say no. Some people may not have the time for you, but that's okay. You're you're what we have to understand is you're one or two people away from your next opportunity. I really believe that. I love that. You know, apparently we're six degrees away from Kevin Bacon from Footloose. So if we're six degrees away <laughs> from Kevin Bacon, um, as the old analogy goes, you're probably one or two, three po- people, away from your next opportunity. And, I've often discovered that it's usually the people that you don't know or you didn't think could help are actually the ones that help you the most, because again, it may not be them and that actual, that actually person that, that helps you, but they may know someone that they can connect you with. And, and I'll say this for those of your listeners, Jimmy, that would say, you know, and I'm not looking for what to do next. I'm telling you, if you can be disciplined about building your personal network when you don't need one, Mm -hmm. um, it will. Trust me, this is just like retirement savings. There will come a day when you'll be grateful that you spent time building your network. And so in the book, I talk about a plan and a process to increase your personal network uh, just in one month. And again, the principle there, the, the other principle in the book is your personal net worth is largely determined by your personal network. So the more Mm. people you know, the greater your network, the more you're going to be positioned um, to do what you need to do. And so I'm so grateful that over the course of my career, um, my personal network has grown so that in this new season of a new career, I can call people and say, hey, here's where I am. What would you do if you were me in this next move? And um, you know, I'm about a year and a half in. And and then honestly, it was my personal network that really as I, in my course of my conversations, mm-hmm. I thought, oh wow, I think my next book is what to do next, because there's so much here that I think people need to understand. So that they don't they don't get paralyzed and stuck. They can, they can move forward as John Maxwell would say.
0: That is so good. And um, one more question uh, around that topic, you know, there's a lot of people um, in leadership positions who um, when they're transitioning or having to transition someone else off the team, I've seen some really good transitions and I've seen a lot of bad transitions. So uh, what is the key to transitioning and, you know, transitioning someone off the team? Well, I'm sure you've experienced this uh, quite a few times before. So each, each situation is different because
1: you're dealing with a different dynamic and there may be some, some similar you know patterns, but you're, you're, you're dealing with, with people. And, and sometimes you, you get an organization, you know, your team together and go, Hey, this person's leaving. And some, sometimes, you know, in, in honor of that particular person, you have to go, Hey, we won't share the whole story of what, why you're leaving. Sometimes it's really, really healthy. I got a great opportunity. I'm moving on. so. The overarching principle for me is honor the person. Honor the person and and then honor the organization as well. And you know, my my what, what I wanted to do in our, our organization and the teams I served is I would tell them, hey, I hope you stay here for the rest of your career. But if you choose to go elsewhere, my hope is that you'll look back on your time with my leadership and me serving you. And you'll go, that was the best experience I had. And it helped position me for what was next for me. And I think I'm always careful to say things like our team and my people. They're not my people. They're not my team. They're not our people. They're not our, it's, it's the, the, the team, the people, but it's not mine. I don't own anybody. And I don't, these people don't you know, whenever I see a leader start talking really too much about loyalty, that you need to be loyal to me and you need to be loyal to the organization. there's a a little bit of a red light that starts blinking in the organization. Like, no, they don't. They don't need to be loyal to you and they don't need to be loyal to the organization. What you need to do is to create an an organization and a culture where they want to belong. Mm -hmm. And if they want to belong, the benefits of loyalty will eventually, come out. I mean, loyalty in and of itself is not evil or wrong, but if it becomes some huge value for the leader, that you better be loyal to me. And I see this all the time in church world that pastors will power up and they'll use their, you know, I'm appointed from God to, and so you must be, if you're not loyal to me, you're not loyal to God. Oh my goodness. Just be a good leader. Just be a good leader. And now when people leave an organization, does it hurt? Absolutely. Is it personal? Absolutely. So you have to work through all of that to go at the end of the day. The the best thing I can do is to take the high road. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, John Maxwell says the high road is a toll road and it has a high price, but you'll be grateful looking back that you paid that price. And so and there are organizations that would come and and you know recruit our staff and they would go on and it was hard, but it's like, no, I'm going to take the high road and honor them and honor the organization. And yeah. all of that, uh, you will not regret it. On the flip side of that, Jimmy, mm-hmm. I would say when we leave an organization, there's a principle here. And that is the, the, the better you finish that current season is the, is equal to how better you begin the next season. And I would say, finish well, finish well, finish well. Cause it's easy to talk yourself into, Hey, I put in a two week, three week notice. There's nothing. They can't can't fire me. I'm out of here. That's (laughs) not how to honor the organization. When I left Gwinnett Church, I put in a six week notice and I sat down with our leadership team and I said, hey, over the next six weeks, here's my plan of action. I'm going to preach a sermon series. I'm going to meet with this volunteer group. I'm going to do this, this and this. We're going to lead staff meetings, all this kind of stuff. look at this list is there anything you would want me to do in the course of these six weeks that that i can make sure that i am serving you and setting up the next leader exceedingly well um i did that at chick-fil-a i put in a two-month notice there Uh, i wrote everyone um in uh in the marketing department at chick-fil-a and the executive committee uh handwritten notes to say thank you in essence when i left chick-fil-a to help start this church It was a video church where the preachers on video I I didn't say this in the notes, but it was basically like, if Buckhead Church doesn't work out, can I come back to Chick-fil-A? So and and I I wrote every staff person at Gwinnett Church a handwritten note. I met with everyone that wanted to meet with me to personally say thank you. I wrote the leadership team of North Point Ministries and several others. Thank you notes because I just I wanted to leave well. And there's another principle here. How you leave the organization is within Mm -hmm. your control. How yeah. the organization leaves you is their control. So don't get those two confused. Try to leave well and take the high road. And and uh, in each one of these instances, I I felt like I left well. In fact, my boss at, at North Point said, "Hey, when anyone ever leaves North Point, I'm going to point to how you left and say that's how to leave well." And uh, you want to leave a good impression in in, in the minds of people. So I don't. I wouldn't. You know when we burn bridges uh we the person we end up burning is ourselves and our career if we're not if we're not careful because it goes back to the network thing right the personal network so don't burn those bridges finish well i would say work really really hard and then take some time off don't don't pull off the gas i, mean, I, I, I went i went right up to the very day i was working hard and then i took some time off to kind of decompress that
0: yeah it's so good. Uh, a lot of nuggets there for us to take home. And uh, if you're you know, listening or watching, make sure to take notes because uh, Jeff's sharing a lot of gold here. Um, but this part of the uh, podcast, this segment is called The Big Three. And so I want to ask you, what are three lessons you learned or even habits you formed that can help younger leaders like myself level, level up in leadership?
1: My very first business mentor, Steve Polk, told me gave me three pieces of advice on my first day at work i've never forgotten it he said number one there's not a limit to what a person can do when he or she doesn't care who gets the credit and it's the it's the humility challenge but the thing i love about that is it's a confident humility there's no limit to what a person can do hey we've got plans and visions and we're going somewhere but at the end of the day it's not about me it's about us and it's about where we're going and the people we're trying to serve so Um, There's not a limit to what a person can do when he or she doesn't care who gets the credit. If you're looking for credit, um, and there's ego in all of us, and I get that. That's why I love Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy. It really is. The enemy is not anything outside of me and the economy and this person, that person. Ultimately, the, the enemy is my ego. Number two is leave things better than when you found them. His point in my first day at work there was... Hey, you're going to leave at some point you know you probably won't be here for the rest of your career but i hope when you look back and when we look back on your time here we see a wake of positive change and positive results so that when jeff henderson has been here there's a wake of positive change so leave things better than when you found them and then number three live your life as if it's better to give than to receive and that was the three pieces of advice he he gave me and I would say as a bonus, um, be sure that your morning and evening routines set you up for success. So a great day begins the night before. And so what can you do the night before to set up the, the next day? And um, this is a challenge if you're not an evening person or a morning person, wherever one you are. But those morning and evening routines are, are really, really helpful. But to go, to go back to what Mr. Polk told me, those, those three have stuck with me.
0: Jeff, thank you so much for that. And uh, Jeff, tell us how uh, people can go about connecting with you online. So they
1: can go to jeffhenderson.com, Jimmy, and you'll see some free assessments there. If you're a communicator, there's a, a free assessment called the four presenter voices to help you determine which voice, one of the four voices that you have. There's the career risk assessment, which is the primary free assessment for what to do next. And it gives you a red light, yellow light, or green light. It doesn't it's not a pass or fail, but it just tells you, okay, here's your situation. You've got some work to do potentially before you leave, or hey, you're ready to go if you so that career risk assessment is so helpful because, you know, the first job for any of us is to define where we are. Um, and there's some other free assessments as well. And then the books are Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know.
0: Wherever books are sold, right? Wherever books are sold. Well, Jeff, before we go, how do people follow you on social media? Jeff
1: Henderson on Twitter, Jeffrey Henderson, J E F F E R Y on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook. And when you get the book, I will say this, Jimmy, my cell phone is in both of the books and just love that. text me and I love interacting with, I, I, I get about a text or two a day, which is, which is fun. So just text me and, uh, that would be a good way to s- stay in touch as well.
0: Jeffrey Henderson, author of What to Do Next, Taking Your Best Step When Life is Uncertain. It's available everywhere today. Make sure you pick up a copy wherever books are sold. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for having me.